Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So guys, thank you so much for all of your amazing feedback on the Coach's Corner episodes. Like to be number two in the iTunes charts for nutrition episodes is is madness. And we weren't sure when we started doing it where it was it going to work, we're going to stick with it. But you guys are showing the support. The clients seem to enjoy it. You guys seem to enjoy it. So we will continue to do them. This episode is going to be a little bit different because Dallas is going to take the charge here because there's something that we both want to talk about and we know it's going to help someone and it's going to be a little bit different and difficult for me to talk about. So Dallas is going to take over now. Uh, and if there's tears, it's because of Dallas. <laughs> uh, hey everybody. And thank you so much for all the other lessons uh, today. As we were talking about, it's going to be a little bit different in terms of things since uh, the conception and idea of this came probably about... 20, 30 minutes ago. Um, but anyway, so we'll dive in. So one of the few things that have been coming up for a lot of people lately is dealing a lot with lockdowns or dealing a lot with setbacks. Now, it's something that a lot of us have to deal with, and it's something that's completely natural. However, where we segue into this and into Shane's life is that in the coming weeks, Shane is going to be taking some time off from work, which I think is always a good thing. However, the aspect of when he's taking time off work is coming back to the sense that he's going to be going in for some surgery. Now, it's a big thing for a lot of people when they go into hospitals, especially around this time, but it's also a big thing when anyone has to go into surgery. What is occurring, Shane? Um, so where do I start? Okay. So yes, I'm going for surgery. So this episode is out on, I think it's out on the 18th of Feb. So I would have had my surgery already. I would have had my surgery on the 15th. And my, so I was, I have a birth defect in my right ear. So I can't hear very well in my right ear. So December 18, I had to go in for surgery um, for a an ear operation. But the birth defect was only really, really spotted probably like six months before that. So only 2018, I knew that I had this. I thought it was kind of like I couldn't really hear properly for a while and then it just getting worse. There was infections after infections and I would have had infections as a kid in my ears, but they never really spotted it. And they were doing lots of rooting in my ears and a quarter lot of scar tissue damage. So what happened or what is the birth defect? My eardrum had sunk into my head and had flipped over. So if you think of, I say, a kidney bean and your eardrum is meant to be upright and the kidney bean is meant to be pointing upwards, might the kidney bean in my ear or your eardrum have been pointing down. And then also what tended to happen was it sunk into my head. So it looked like there was like cling film or the essential kind of what he painted the picture or the surgeon painted the picture of the eardrum had sunk in and like a massive amount of cling film had kind of gone over it and sucked all the air out of it so the sound wasn't getting into my ear so when you are hearing there's two different sides of the ear and there's different elements of it but I'm not really hearing voices going into my ear which you hear kind of about three quarters of the way down your neck uh, and that's I wasn't really hearing anything so I actually have a hearing aid so whoever was working with me face to face and I know some of the girls are still with me and people would have noticed it anyway it gets set off by music. I can't, if there's music on in the gym, um, I would have heard the music and not heard the voices. And that's how my hearing works. I can hear this music. I can hear mumbles when people are talking to me or if there's wind going into my ear. I can't really hear that side of things. So I actually have a full-on hearing aid. It's controlled by my phone. I can block out, whatever. Um, and it's very, very sensitive. And it's, it's not like I can hide it either. There's not a lot of hair to hide it. Um, so... The unfortunate first surgery didn't work and I have to go in for another one. I could have to go in for them every few years. And I think on top of kind of what's happened with lockdown, it has been very, very difficult for me mentally to cope with what's happening. Uh, I've had a few days, I've had a few cries, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's a, it, 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 I, it, I haven't let it hold me back and trying to get on with my day-to-day -day routine in that I've had my non-negotiables to talk about a lot. But I know, I think Dallas has noticed this over the last little while that it is impacting me. And the day that we're recording this is what, probably 10 days away from surgery. And it's definitely impacting my energy levels. It's definitely impacting my mood. Um, but I'm, yeah, just really, really struggling with the whole thing. COVID's not helping. 
uh, because I can't go out and see mates. I have to get a COVID test the Friday before, so I can't really go out. I haven't been allowed to really go out for the whole of January, bar getting my walks in. Like I've seen probably two people um, other than myself for the last six weeks of Jan- for, for six weeks of 2021, which hasn't been easy. I'm very lucky to have the likes of Dallas as a sounding board, and I have my kind of my main mates as well. That if they know if I know if I go quiet they know that something's up. So they, they, they know when I only tell the people around me um, and this is why this is a little bit awkward because I haven't really discussed this as a part of my story for a very long time. So I am struggling with the whole thing. Uh, I don't know. There is a chance I could lose my hearing. Um, it's a small chance, but it's still the risk there. I'm trying not to overthink that element of it, but I know at this stage it could take potentially two weeks to kind of recover from the whole thing uh, minimum uh, I lose my balance so it's like having 20 pints without the crack uh, I'm not allowed to drive I can't really walk I've got like a gauze in my ears when I do when I get the surgery so I can't really walk anywhere so I'm literally sitting on for someone who's active and trains and walks and all that kind of stuff and who likes to help clients like I'd be shafted if Dallas wasn't on board uh, like I had the surgery before and I didn't have anyone to look after my clients I had they had to get a gap of say three weeks and it's very difficult to pick back up after three weeks of no coaching for some people it depends on their journey if someone's starting off the journey and they've signed up with me it's very difficult um but the main thing that's kind of like a lot of coming what's coming into play is kind of a lot of ele- big element of it is kind of ego and fear the fear of not knowing what's ahead the fear of potentially losing the hearing potentially and then the ego of having to wear the hearing aid. It has definitely held me back in a lot of social circumstances, situations um, in relation to if I'm out for dinner or when we could go out for dinner or go out for a club or whatever like that. And I'd have to take up my phone, change the setting on it in order to be able to block out the music and able to hear people's voices. If I'm in a restaurant, same thing. And it just makes me very self-conscious. And I just have to keep telling myself, imagine if my own client, nobody is watching, nobody is is kind of judging you, nobody is looking at what you're doing. They, it, it has to be done. You have to try and make this as normalized as as possible. And the big thing, then, the analogy that's always used with the hearing aid is it's not like a set of glasses. A set of glasses gives you 20-20 vision if you wear them. With the hearing aid, I say it's still not 100% even with the hearing aid on. So it's it's tinny. It's Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes a whining noise on it. Like if I have my headphones on while recording this and I have my hearing aid on, it, it, it impacts and get a whining noise out of the hearing aid because it's blocking the sensor. Um, it's, it's a very big, massive part. Like it is a vanity and ego part in that if you are talking to someone and they spot it and it has happened, um and people have kind of commented they start asking loads of awkward questions and or what i perceive to be awkward should i say uh because i'm not comfortable with the whole, ideo- whole ideology of myself like at 30s in your 30s you don't really expect to wear a hearing aid um but what i know what's funny is you know when you get a new car and you see how many other people have the same car i've noticed since i got the hearing aid a lot more people have a hearing aid they may be in their 60s and 70s and 80s but a lot more people have them than you think. <laughs> so I think that's the only thing keeping me sane. But yeah, I think with what's going on, it's not ideal because it's not much of a, I have, I have people around me and I think that's the most important thing that I can vent off. Like I've had cries and, I, and that's the most important thing. I had like, I think it was on Monday, I, I messaged Dallas. I was like, or messaged one of the lads. And I was like, I've literally started, I was went for out for a walk. I literally started crying while going for a walk. And I was like, this is definitely not the wind. But I was just like, my body's just, sometimes my body, like before we came on and I texted, I was like, my body is just like, it's not great at the minute. It's just anxious, it's stressed. Um, and I'm trying to just keep doing what I can, but also not do what I normally did when I was at my worst in my mental health, it was go quiet. I have learned lessons from that and I want people to learn those lessons or take those lessons without having to learn them in that don't go quiet, don't go into isolation mode. I know we are in isolation, but don't go into isolation mode. You still have a phone. You can still ring someone. If you want to chat, you don't know how, who else is struggling. Everyone has something going on with what's happening at the minute. 
And it's one of those things that will I ever get acclimatized to it? I don't know, but I, it hasn't stopped me from being able to train. hasn't been able to stop me from being able to run a business or do a podcast and do the things I enjoy, which is working with clients and do the podcast. It may stop me from doing something else. Like I won't be able to go scuba diving or anything like that, but I've seen Nemo already. So I'm fine with that. Um, I think there are elements that's going to hold me back, but you have to also look at it positive. There's people who are, have Sarah quadriplegic uh, people who can't use like they're, they're people who can't have no, who can't use any of their limbs uh, or have uh, no arms or legs or whatever it may be who are still competing in the Olympics and stuff. So a lot of this stuff, there are, they are a barrier, but they're also an opportunity. I'm not saying I'm going to run the Olympics, by the way, that's not what I'm saying, but you can use it as an opportunity for it to not to, de- to derail you and not to hinder you. You can use it as an opportunity to push yourself a little bit more further out of your comfort zone. I like there will be days when you don't want to do it. There will be days when you don't feel like doing anything. And I think it's important that you realize that the human, you are human and it's just important to kind of just keep, keep going really. Yeah. Oh. Thank you for actually going into this. I know for a lot of people, this will be a big thing to be listening to. And it's also not something uh, very easy to deal with and be very open about it. Some of those things you are experiencing about the anxiety and kind of the pullback in terms of how you feel, did you often feel that growing up because of the hearing aid or was that something that's developed over a period of time? I only got the hearing aid in... 20 January, February, 2019. So I've only had it for two years. Um, when I got it, I remember when I got, when I went to see the specialist, they were like, yeah, you have to get a hearing aid. Um, and I just came out of it and I didn't know how to react. So when I went like, do you know when you get that numb feeling? That's the way that was. Mm. Um, I think the anxiety hits in waves a bit like COVID, it comes in waves. And I think I generally know that when I say they come up to the surgery or coming up to a social situation, when we could go in social situations, there'll be a little bit more anxiety. But anxiety is generally the fear of the future because I can't control all elements of it. So that's when the anxiety comes in. But I have utilized tools that I talk about clients on a daily basis that some clients supply, some some clients don't, which is my number one rule each day is, right, get out for a walk just to clear the head. Number two is making sure that I do some sort of breathing work because generally when we get stressed or we get anxious, our body tightens up. And the one thing that we can control is our breathing. So like three, four, even one big deep breath in and one massive exhale, I can feel the looseness in my chest come back in. Like your chest shouldn't be tight all the time. If you're super stressed, it's really important just to make sure and just pause and breathe. The walking has been a massive part um, for me, it's, it's it's something I've had to bring in um, because I haven't been able to go out and talk to people and see people. And like, even when I'm outside walking around, I'm still wearing the mask. And if it's raining, I'll still go out and like, I look like a ninja because you can only see my eyes. And it's it's just one of those things. Like I have to, yeah, I have to, as it's cheesy as it sounds, I have to control the controllables in relation to... Mm how I deal with it. Uh, it comes back up and it, will, it probably will always be there, but there's tools and mechanisms that I can do to dull it, but it's not going to get rid of it. Yeah. And have you felt that since getting it, it's shaped quite a bit of your identity? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's, I, it's very, I find it very hard to describe this part and what it does. It like, it's definitely hit the ego part of, the human side of me in relation to being able to kind of like train because I can't train with it in because if it gets wet, it's banjacks, it breaks. It's so sensitive. If I'm out and about and someone spots it and I've had a few people say it and you just get a little bit more conscious. It kind of takes, it's like a balloon. It kind of deflates you a little bit that you can't really enjoy the rest of the evening. So you have to take yourselves out of situations and a fairness to my mates, the lads, 
even when we're out and about, one of my mates, like, he goes, well, she, which ear is it? And he'll switch over to the other ear if we're mm. out for a walk. And he'll make sure that he's on the good ear. Um, it's definitely shaped some some element of the onto identity, but I don't want to be like oh, because I know when I was when when I was in PT, it was a huge element of it because it wasn't made very easy for me in the gym that I was in, in relation to one they didn't necessarily believe that I had a problem. Mm. Um, I wasn't able to teach spin because of the room and the loud noises, mm. so I was rewarded with teaching Pilates and yoga. I apologize to every single person that was in one of those classes. <laughs> I was so bad. Um, and then it definitely at the beginning when it first happened, it definitely shaped how I went, like it kind of held me back from actually being approachable and actually talking to people because it's like, oh, they're going to see the wire. Mm. Like I'm showing Dallas the, the screen now and it's a clear wire. You mm. have to go looking for it and focus your eyes on it to be able to see it. Mm. And it's, it's kind of like, I kind of compare it to when someone starts off a fitness journey about going into the gym mm. that they're kind of co- very conscious of what other people are thinking about they're watching you. I can assure you that no one is watching you. No yeah. one is doing that. This is stories. You're just kind of protecting yourself and you're creating anxiety in yourself. And it's just one of those things that I just, it's still quite new and still relevant. And it's just another thing that has been thrown my way, but it's also another thing for me to overcome along the way so that I can learn lessons from it to make me a better coach and a better person. Hmm. Ah, totally agree. And in terms of like, I know you were saying it's still relatively new and everything in your life and that, the form of acceptance, how has that come about? Do you find that you are very accepting of it there or more of a thing that it's still we're working on? Still working on. Um, I think it's definitely one of those elements that, I I don't know if I'll ever get fully used to putting a foreign object in my ear um, on a daily basis. Because um, you're not being told as a kid not to put stuff into your ear uh, or your nose. Um, so it's, yeah, exactly. Still am <laughs> in my thirties. So, so I think to be have to like have this at the bedside locker to make sure. Like it's creating new habits now. If I go into the shower, I almost have to touch the back of my ear to make sure it's not there. Mm. Um, like with the masks, to say it's a fucking nuisance with the masks. If you have a mask on, it takes the hearing aid out. It gets wrapped around the wire. Yeah. Uh, but it's. I think it's just one of those things that it's just a chapter mm. that I have to kind of get through, but I can't let it be the full story. Mm, no, I agree. I think like a lot of it is also that acceptance process is looking at it and going, right, there is going to be obviously negatives to every single aspect that we have in life. That's true. But there are a lot of positives that do come from it. And it's now looking at those positives and seeing how do we intertwine that with not only about how we see the world, but also how we see ourselves. Have you put any thought into some of those aspects? And the biggest thing that I've had to bring in is kind of the compassion and the empathy thing, uh, particularly when I was doing face-to-face PT, the tiredness levels were very, very high because mm-hmm. of the errors that I was doing. And I think that was when generally when we get a little bit more tired, we kind of we kind of go down to our lowest form of training and we kind of bring in bad habits and stuff. But now it's right. I have to set my day, my rules for myself and how I want to live and how I want to kind of see and work the world rather than, oh, he's the guy with the hearing aid. Mm. Um, And I think it's important for me just to kind of say to myself, right, this, this is what it's going to be for the next little while. Like I, I, I can still hear it's not complete deafness. It's, Mm. it's partial deafness in one ear, but it's kind of like there are, there are people who are, a lot less fortunate in than me right now um and if as long as i can still kind of do what i want to do on a daily basis and if i have to put this into my ear and, and the, along the way so be it yeah necessary i mean in terms for other people going through any form of setback currently it, it doesn't matter what it may be 
what's some of the advice you would give so that they too can come out of this in a better light? I think time does help. I don't think there's any time frame you can put on something. And I think from my previous mental health episodes, that was the biggest thing that I, like you can't be forced to go and talk to someone. You can't be forced to go. You have to be ready to do it. If you try it and it's not for you, then that may not have been the right time. I think if you can just rather than, I know when generally when some people can kind of like have mental health issues and get depressed, the last thing they want to do is do anything. Mm. From me, I know that I have that, that element still lying in my body, but it's not my identity. It's a story behind me, but it's not my identity. And I think it's important to say, right, mine was situational depression. Mm. So it's about identifying, right, if those things are coming back in, I need to change things and learn the lessons from it. So if I feel I'm getting kind of bogged down in different things or my breathing is going or my anxiety is going or my stress is going, it's about identifying them and say, right, this is happening again. What can I do to go back to this and help and tweak that? Then the important thing is to try and lean on people if you can or where possible. Don't take the whole thing on yourself because that has never worked for you before. The other thing is like we are all emotional humans and it's okay to be emotional. Sometimes we all emotionally eat and there's definition. There's a difference between emotional eating and binge eating. And I think it's, I've now I haven't had that element. Mine is when I get stressed, I don't really eat. Mm. And I always have Dallas in the back of my head. He doesn't say it to me. He's like, Shane, eat, Shane, eat, Shane, eat. Um, so I get, when I get stressed, I don't really eat. So I have this thing in the back of my head. as like, right, I need to have my three basic meals. That's my non-negotiable for my food. If I eat more, amazing. But if I go back into where I was, which was I think 25 pounds less than I was, um, I have that photo saved. So if I feel I'm going back into that mechanism, I'm falling back into that whole that whole zone that I don't really want to go back into, I look at the photo and said, you can't go back there. And that's that's part of my identity. But it's also a part of and a chapter of my story that I wouldn't I would probably I wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. And I've had to bring in those lessons and you things happen for a reason. Everything, every single thing we do on a daily basis happens for a reason. There are things we can't control. There's things we can't control. And it's about saying to yourself, if someone says something to me about it, I'm like, oh, hurt people, hurt people. But what can happen then sometimes is if my state has been shit or I haven't slept and someone has said something to me about it, well, hang on. Okay, right. You've, you're reacting to this because you're tired. Yeah. You, you just need to take a step back and say, and bring yourself away from it and say, hang on, Shane. Like take a step back and kind of actually the problem wasn't what what he said. It was your state or your tiredness levels or your pre-bed routine or whatever it may be was potentially the trigger behind it. It wasn't necessarily what he said or how he said it because we can always attach something to what someone has said. If someone says you're a purple dinosaur, you're going to attach something to it. Exactly. That's a shock. Um, But you can attach anything and we live in a world of how like PC world and like not the computer shop. Um, but the <laughs> Dallas is like, that was an awful joke, but we live in a world where you cannot say anything to anyone anymore. People take offense to anything yeah. and you've got to ask yourself, right? Is that person saying it out of malice or is that person saying it out of misunderstanding? Yeah. I think it's also the thing is like people forget that is we, we are the soul aspect of deriving meaning it's the words are put down on a piece of paper and the way you read it the way you see it and the way you perceive it is how you derive the meaning a simple thing of someone saying hello can be taken in a myriad of different ways could all be coming down to the person is attacking me the person is saying something the tonality the way all these things occur it's like we are the ones that derive the meaning and i think and that's something that we often don't think about it's like we react we live in a reactive world. Like if you think about it, like if you get a DM, there's an alert on your phone. If you get a text message, there's a reactive tone on that as well. I think sometimes it's too easy to react and rather than kind of take yourself away from the situation and kind of breathe before you react or anything like that. I guarantee if say someone has said something to you before, normally 
you'd probably react straight away. Mm. And for me, I probably go the other way in that I don't really say anything. I probably got a little bit mute. Um, I just prefer to take myself out of the situation and mm. try to get my thoughts uh, before I react. Did I always do that? No. When I was miserable in my old job and working in recruitment and sales, um, I would have been a mouthy little fucker because I was miserable and didn't work for me very well. So I was like, why do I do the same? Why would I do the same thing over and over again? Why not try to take myself away from the situation? Try to get in tune with where my head's at. Try to get in tune with what my state is at and try to adapt the anxiety and the stress that has been induced onto my headspace and my body. Like, mm. And do you find that there is easier ways to pull back from some of these aspects? In relation to the stress and the anxiety? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my body my body tells me. My body tells me uh, when, when, like today, before we came on air, I was, I was, I was, I'm not going to lie, guys, I was very reluctant to do this. Uh, so I, Dallas popped onto me about half an hour ago. Um, I think generally I can feel it in my body, my appetite goes, and I just become very recluse. Mm-hmm. So if I feel myself kind of going into my room and not really want to talk to people, and there's, that's okay to do as well, by the way, that you're okay to be on your own. I think a lot of people do struggle with that. But my whole thing was I took myself away from everyone. And if I find myself taking myself away from everyone when it's counterintuitive to how I'm feeling, that's when I'm kind of like, right, Jane, you need to do something. And it's very easy for me to be on all the time at work and DMs and all this kind of stuff. And that is a huge element that if I find that I'm throwing myself into something else headfirst, I need to take myself away out of that as well and say, right, get, get something onto my phone, get a blocker on my phone and try not to work as much as I do lines are so blurred at the minute like my bedroom's the other side of this wall like it's literally get up in grand hot day and i know myself and my body is not is is shook it's tired fatigued when i'm sleeping more than i normally would or if i'm going to bed before a certain time like there's there's something happening here you need to take yourself away from so recognizing the signs keeping a journal has been imperative for me in that it's been able to say, like, look back at old things and learn from those lessons, recognize what was going on then, is something happening at the same time, this time? Mm. No, I think it's amazing to be able to talk about these things. I know it's not easy, so I really do appreciate you coming on this, and I know I did somewhat ambush you before the call. Ambush is being polite. (laughs) Uh, The reason is, is specifically a lot of people do go through a lot of these aspects, And I know, especially in terms of Shane's um, situation, it is very close to heart and it does give a lot of people the ability to understand that, you know, things are always going to be a slightly tough here and there and we can get through it. And a lot of it is just taking it day by day. And as you did point out that time is a wonderful thing. You know, it gives you time to figure things out. It gives you time to plan. It gives you time to truly fix some of the aspects but don't just rely on time as the way to hey look time is just going to fix all the problems because you won't it's the understanding that you're going to try fix things i think there has to be an element of action as well though i think there's a fine line between relying on time and waiting for a perfect time to do something and that's generally what happens to a lot of people is they think that there's going to be this massive sign or this imperative or this massive something's going to pop up one day and tell them to change the world or tell them the meaning of life. And that's not how it works. Sometimes the, the signs are how your body feels, how your mind feels and how you feel. And are you reacting? Are you being a dickhead to other people? Mm-hmm. And I think if we're waiting for like time, definitely does help, but there's also, I believe in that action probably works alongside time rather than isolation. Amen to that. Like, no true words have been spoken in terms of that. It's put the time in, put the time into the action and things will definitely change. I knew that we were talking a little bit about before the call in terms of a few questions that have come in in terms of what people were wanting answers on. And one of them was in terms of should ladies in general strive for more on terms of 2,000 calories a day because everyone puts it out there that 2,000 calories a day is where a woman should be at. It's where they should strive for. That's where health is at. That's where all these things come together. 
how do you see that fitting into the kind of whole aspect? It depends. <laughs> um, Welcome back. It depends. Uh, so yeah, I think when I know with kind of like if you look at the NHS or you look at kind of any other government guidelines, they normally say or health guidelines should I say they normally say like two thousand calories for a lady, two and a half thousand calories for a man. But if I'm a different weight to Dallas, like how is that the same? Like Dallas may need more food than me and I may need less food than Dallas. It's so subjective. Everyone is so, so different. And I think those guidelines are guidelines, but they're not death sentences or they're not life sentences or they're not set in stone. And it's about Mm -hmm. playing around with it. And I think when people kind of get caught back on a certain calorie calorie deficit or a calorie range or whatever it may be, they don't necessarily do a range. They kind of go, right, I have have to eat 2,000 calories. And if I go over that, I've fucked up. If I go under it, I'm under eating. That's not the way it is. And I know one of the things that we work on a lot with the clients is working with them, if they are counting calories, that is, is a calorie range Mm -hmm. in that, say, it could be, say, 1,800 to 2,000 calories because then some days you may not be hungry. And then you some other days you may be a little bit more hungry. So you give yourself permission not to be so transfixed and tro- so honed in on one number. And it's not at say eighteen hundred calories, you're not going to gain weight. And eighteen hundred and one calories, you're going to gain weight. It, that's not how it works. Play around with a range of about one or two hundred calories and see how you feel. Yeah. Give yourself permission to eat a little bit more if you if you do need it, and try to move away from. Oh, I can only have that. It's actually saying to yourself, I want to have this. My body needs this. No, I totally agree. I think it's also like another aspect is like when you touched on weight. So it's like if you take, say, like a relatively sedentary female weighing in a roughly about 56-ish kgs, right? If you do uh, give or take their kind of uh, calories needed to maintain the weight, you're looking at roughly about 1,500, 1,600 per day, right? Um that means you still have another 400 to 500 calorie increase in your day to get to that goal, which for some women could be a calorie surplus. So it's like if you're striving for those 2,000 calories, you would have to then start increasing activity levels to a higher amount to combat that. So it's like it really is case dependent and where you are. Um, the aspect of increasing activity is also a wonderful thing for a lot of females in terms of not overdoing it and abusing it, but being more dedicated in how we use that activity. And so someone who is close enough to a 2000 calorie based on their body weight and everything could now eat a little bit more because of some cardio, but it's definitely not our aspect where, Hey, look, we should all strive to try and push one into 2000 calories because it's a bit like not everybody's there. We, body weight ranges makes a, bit, a big difference. Lifestyle factors play a big key. And it's like, I get it's a guideline, but it's not there for everybody. No, I think, I think it's also like, it's just giving yourself permission to have that little bit more if you want it. And then when people are pigeonholed into a certain calorie target, that's when the struggle really starts. So for a lot of people, that's generally like 1,200 calories. That's the equivalent of what a four-year-old should have. Mm. And people get pinned in on that number. They get caught up on that number. They get angry at that number. And then by Wednesday, if they're dieting, they're probably on 3,000 calories rather than trying to, on average, have probably about 1,800, 2,000 calories, depending on what the range of or what weight you are and i think it's called personal training for a reason and that has to be taken into it it has to be drawn into it and anyone can give out a calorie target to any client or whatever but it has to be right how much is the person training is this person sleeping is this person stressed is this person have pcos this person have endometriosis does this person have kids the lifestyle thing has to be taken into it that's what my fitness pal doesn't take in it doesn't take in the human element. It doesn't, it, it, like you're not a robot. Um, and that's just something that Natalie Lennon said to me when I was recording an episode with her recently. It's like my fitness panel, those fitness trackers don't take in the human. They, they like, we're not, we're not robots. We're not programmed to only have 2000 calories a day. If you want to have a little bit more, have it. If you want to have a little bit less, have it, but don't starve yourself or beat yourself up 
if you go either side please do not starve yourself for a piece of fucking plastic to tell you how to feel i think that should be a mic drop right there yeah i probably wouldn't hear it (laughs) (laughs) oh brilliant um i think other aspects in that like you've hit on the nail now i do know we have a couple of questions that have come in on kind of frameworks should I say, um, about the five Fs, something that you often like to talk about? Yeah, so the five Fs, there are many different kind of frameworks, and I know there's a few over in like financy ones, and this was t- this is adapted from uh, the mentor that I work with, the business mentor that I've been working with for a while, um, and he used a framework called the five Fs, and I, spoke, I alluded to it with the episode with Lizzie Wright, um and the five apps are focus fitness family finance and fun so focus is mindset fitness is fitness family is your family uh finance is your kind of like your personal savings or your salary or whatever it may be and fun is doing something random in whatever you can do and like it could be a date night or whatever it may be but the way that it's kind of aimed and worked on for myself and that's kind of worked on with with the mentor is you have 90 day goals. So you have your big long goal for the year and then you break that year long goal into 90 day segments so you can work towards something. So say at the beginning of January, I've got say a financial target for 90 days. Okay, so I've got like a, a Q1 target, as, as some businesses would say. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to get to this number? And work your way back. How many clients do I need to, to get to that number? How many people, how many calls do we need to get to that number? And each week I will check in on myself saying, are we hitting those metrics along the way? That's the way I tick. Are we hitting those metrics? Are we getting X amount of calls a week? Are we getting X amount of calls um, and successful calls in with clients? Uh, for myself and Dallas because I can't only be me I have to say these to Dallas like when Dallas came on first we we're like okay Dallas this is your target you need to get this done by March and Dallas is okay fine and you wanted a target as well it wasn't that I just said Dallas here's your death sentence and we, the, the bar can be moved like if you hit it amazing when you're setting those goals it's important not to be like oh I'm going to run a marathon if you've never even run a 5k so for a focus goal, because a mindset goal is like, I, you can say to yourself, I want to, um, not, I want to read a, my book 70 days out of 90 days, set something realistic yeah. and not saying I'm going to do it every day because you're not going to do it every day. So for myself, mine is I'm going to read, I've built it up. I've done this for probably about six, nine months at this stage. And I'm going to say, right, I'm going to read for 80 or 80 out of 90 days before I start working in the day. And I end up reading for, I say that's a, I started off at half an hour, 40 days out of 90 days, and now it's up to an hour a day at probably about 85 out of 90 days because something I've built a habit and strive towards. And I check in with myself every week. Have I got that done? Have I got that done? I have a whiteboard beside me. It's on that. It's in the book as well. Mm-hmm. With the fitness go, this is where something that I try to work with my clients is, right, you're better off saying to yourself, I'm going to train three days a week at the very start. So your goal will be 36 sessions or 36 exercise days out of 90. So there's still a massive wiggle room. If you want to do more and you beat the 36, so it's three a week for 12 weeks. If you beat that, happy days. But set yourself a small starter point, particularly if you've never trained before in your life. With the family stuff, particularly what's going on is like you could cook a dinner for your family. You could ring your brother or your sister who could be somewhere else. You could have a family night. You could have a movie night with your kids. You could have a day at the beach with your kids or whatever it may be and try to bring those in saying, I'm going to have a date night or a family night every week. So for those 12 weeks, it's 12 date nights or 12 family times and no phone, no nothing and be present at that time. With the finance stuff, I've spoken about that already. If it's someone who isn't self-employed, it could be that I want to save, say, 300 euro a month um, or say 300 euro, say 50 quid a week or 20 quid a week for those 12 weeks and into a savings account that you cannot touch. And that can build you up to say, right, at the end of COVID, I'm going to have enough money to get me to go on the family holiday that I've always deserved. So that can be linked in with the family stuff. 
then you've got the fun. The fun side element is could you ring a friend? Could you go and buy yourself something at the end of the 90 days and build yourself up towards that? Could you go out for a walk? For me, it's ringing a maid or it could be just right, I'm going to watch something on Netflix or chill out and watch football matches or do something like that. Uh, go make a date night could be element of it as well. It's all very, very dependent. So it's about setting kind of like a year-long goal then breaking it down into 90-day segments, breaking it down into week-long segments and checking in with yourself. I check in with myself every Sunday and say to myself, right, have I ticked every single one of those? If I haven't checked them and there are weeks I don't win, um, I will say, right, what was the reason why I didn't get that? Is there anything I could have done better? And more often than not, it either was that I didn't prioritize it or something else got in the way. And it's very rare that I don't hit them at this stage because I'm so built into it and I'm so bloody competitive. It wrecks my head. But like I'm looking at the whiteboard now and I'm looking at my goals from like this week and there's only one left and that's to train for the one last time for the week. Um, so I know it's similar enough to other frameworks that are out there and I know uh, Brian Keane has one uh, as well. Uh, but the one they've there's definitely a click with my mental health, definitely a click on how my training, my body composition, how my strength is and the business where it's at and getting Dallas on board was part of that framework and having a target. If you can't, if you don't have a target, you can't reach anything. You can't, if you can't see anything and have it written down in black and white, you're not going to do anything. You're just shooting into the breeze. And that was the biggest change that I've had with business, fitness, setting a small goal. And if you beat that small goal, well, then it's bringing up the goal the next time for the next 90 days. Yeah. Welcome to discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Some would say, like, I, I know I've I've had, a, like some people have said, it could be a little bit of kind of like OCD or a little bit too hard on yourself if you don't hit it. But I think it's like a standard for me and I was listening to an interview with Phil Neville who used to play for England and United and Everton and he was talking about the standards that his family had set for him like his sister is the, the or was uh, the women's netball coach or uh, captain Gary obviously works at Sky Sports but he's um, captain United won lots and lots of trophies but their thing was it was the standards that they set they spoke about Ronaldo Ronaldo used to run 3k after training doing the step overs the flick backs all that kind of stuff but he used to get kicked on a daily basis from Scozy gigs and Roy Keane on a daily basis but it was his standards to say no I'm actually going to show up this is what I want to do and this is going to be the difference between me and someone else like if I hadn't done this I don't know where I'd be business-wise, I may be struggling with, unfortunately, a lot of people I know who are struggling with the face-to-face PT have a lot, unfortunately, lost a lot of their jobs. But it's the framework that has got me out of that headspace of like, right, just taking every single client that comes in. That's not what I want to do. I want to work with a particular type of client that wants to strive and not has to be, by my standards around like that, but has to want to try and get to a better standard for themselves, whatever that looks like. And that better standard could be having never read or doing one walk a day to say four four walks a day. And Mm -hmm. that could be their standard. That could be their win. It doesn't necessarily have to be some massive drastic plan that I have in my head for business or for life or family around like that. But I think it's important to have some sort of standard that is yours and that it's not put onto you by outside voices because that's when a lot of people, and I lived that for so long, that it was other people's standards put on me rather than my own standards that I lived by. Mm. Um, I know one of the other things that we want to talk about, I know I have an IGTV recorded to go out in the next day or so, which is in regards to the, uh, the, eight old, the, the old question of, what's my perfect macro split, Dallas? 100, 200, 3,000, there is no one. And there never will be, and it's always up in the air. I think it's 
it's an easy easy aspect where someone wants to clinch on to because it's like okay this this specific number is going to solve everything i have it's going to fix whatever's happening it's going to get me the weight loss or it's going to give me the muscle gain i want it's it's this number that does not happen and it never will it's a flux it really is and i think it's a lot of what a lot of people need to realize it, it is just something that's always going to be in flux it can change from day-to-day basis you don't have to stick to more macro spirit you can enjoy more carbs one day more fats one day less protein it's it's not going to matter whatever one you're doing just pick the goal do what's necessary for the goal i know you are going to go more ranty on this hence why i kept mine sweet but what would you say I was going to get, let you take this one over because I think I've spoken a lot. Uh, in relation to the perfect macro split, it's asking someone for your perfect macro split is like me asking where my hair has gone. Um, okay. I don't know where it's gone. It's just gone. Uh, it's like it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a perfect macro split. It's It becomes a little bit more detailed when you're, say, a bodybuilder, but there's still no perfect macro split for someone and everyone's so, so, so different. A girl, I'd say 70 kilos compared to a lad who's 110 kilos. They're, they're going to be so, so different. And for a girl, she may need more fats because to keep her cycle regularity, all that kind of stuff. There's different factors that kind of come into play. And I think if someone's starting off on a fitness journey, they need to say to themselves, what most people, there is a quote that is like, weight loss is simple, but application is more difficult. I think it's something like that. And I think, Weight loss is a simple concept, but when it takes doesn't take into the you have to take into effect the whole behavioral adherence, mm-hmm. psychological, uh, physiological environment. So many different things you need to take into the the picture. And if you are just kind of saying, right, here's a throwaway macro split, that's not really going to solve the problem. You are better off trying to say to yourself, right, when do I need to count calories? Not everyone needs to count calories. I haven't counted a calorie in three, two and a half years. Um, I just don't like doing it, so I won't do it. Um, but it's also asking yourself, like, what is my goal? I don't need to count calories. I don't need, if you want to use my fitness pal, do it. But you're better off trying to say, right, can I get my three meals in and, and a couple of snacks in each day mm-hmm. and break it down that way? And if things aren't progressing with your body composition or your your i've lost train of thought my street your strength or your how your clothes are feeling notice i didn't say the scales by the way um then like the scales can be part of it but for too many people only use the scales as the only metric and use that as kind of a way to monitor if those things are moving down or up depending on what your goal is and that has to be taken into account depending on what the goal is. Like if you're bodybuilding, it will definitely come into it. But I think rather than trying to look for an easy way out with kind of like, can I have a perfect macro split? Why not try to work on the other side of things, which is the sleep, the stress, the unsexy side of stuff, rather than trying to reach for the golden nugget or the golden ticket up in the air mm. uh, when there is no such thing. You're just going to keep looking, keep stretching. It's kind of like the pot at the end of the rainbow. It yep. doesn't it doesn't really exist. I'd like, and also like touching on that, I think the whole aspect as well, which a lot of people often don't think about. It's people always look for this perfect macro split, right, and then actually forget what it is you're doing. It's like you're dieting or you're trying to gain weight, and it's like, yeah, cool, but you're putting fuel into your body. And often when people go down this whole macro split, it's I'm only looking at the macros, but we've also got micros. What about your vitamins? What about your minerals? Like, are you actually getting that? Or is all your macros coming from Pop-Tarts? Is it coming just from ice cream? It's like, yes, we know what's going to get you. Leave ice cream out of this. (sighs) Yeah, oh, a nice strawberry cheesecake from Haagen-Dazs. Hell yes. Oh, but like it does push on to the point there. And that's where a lot of people often... um, neglect when they start with it they're like yeah i found my perfect macro split i know how much protein i know how much carbs but i totally forget that there needs to be veg in there there needs to be fruit i haven't looked at any of these other things because it's like well that doesn't matter because i've got the perfect macro split it's like you know there's more to it than just i know how many grams of carbs and fats and protein i need to eat you have to ask yourself can you live like that for a long time because 
yes, it's an educational process when you first start a journey. And if you if your coach is really kind of making a difference to your life, they're working alongside you with it and not just here's a piece of paper, here's a PDF. Here you go. Things have to be moved. Like clients from us, if they are counting calories and things aren't moving, uh, we'll kind of work with them a little bit more on kind of pictures of their food and say, right, well, this is adding up to this. This is adding up to this. We'll take a look at it and say, right, uh, things aren't still moving. We're like, oh, how's stress, how's sleep, all this kind of stuff, how's digestion, cycle week, all that kind of stuff has to take into effect. There's so many different more elements alongside the calorie element that has to be taken into it. There's no one size fits all when it comes to dieting there's no one size fits all when it comes to fitness it's about an approach that mm. works for you there are the basics and there is a, like a pyramid that you can use that kind of calories in calories out will have a massive impact and a, a, that will ultimately be a huge element of it but to say that's the, the only thing or the macro thing is going to be you alluded to micronutrients and um mm. we're talking about macronutrients micronutrients is one of those things that's unsexy as well and one of those things that kind of came up a little bit was multivitamins because when a lot of people are, when people are filling in the, the form and the fill on the sheet, they're kind of like, are you taking any supplements? Are you taking any vitamins? And a lot of things that kind of come in is, the, is, is multivitamins. What is the real research saying? Like, should people be taking multivitamins? Well, it, it depends. <laughs> so this comes down into different ways of thinking if you want to do it, right? So say that you've come to a certain aspect, you have some form of IBS symptoms, you have something like uh, ultracolitis or anything in that essence, right? There are certain things that you can eat and there's certain things that you can't eat because they're going to give you some form of information or some forms of issues, right? So that means that in some aspects, you're going to be limited to what you can or can't get from your food. That's naturally going to happen because you have to eliminate some aspects. In those, in ca- well, in those cases, having the multivitamin works out a little bit better in that sense. Or even having, say, a multivitamin powder or greens and reds powder and stuff like that, that works in a good sense because now you're making up for where things are going a little bit awry. When it comes down to normal gem population, this is where things get interesting because majority gem pop end up taking them, even though they haven't put the time and effort into ensuring that they get the necessary vitamins and minerals from their diet. Because very few people want to look at it and go, hey, look, okay, am I getting enough green? Am I getting enough red? Am I getting enough yellow? What is it I'm getting? We always tend to stay to one side of the spectrum. And that's the kind of issue with their whole eating aspect. So we end up going, yes, the multivitamin works because we're only eating to one side of the spectrum where we wouldn't need it if we had more variety in terms of the fruits and veggies we ate. Yeah, I think another element of it is if you are, say, if you are vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin B, whatever it is, and vitamin C are all topped up and you got blood work done, they're all topped up to the adequate levels that you that you don't need to take a multivitamin if they're up. It's kind of like if you have a car and you fill it up with petrol and it's full and you keep pouring petrol in, it's going to overspill. The same analogy. So I don't think an important thing that I incorporate, I know Dallas does this as well, is in relation to getting blood work done. I probably can get it. I probably I have lower white cells in my body, so I get them probably done every quarter, every six months. I know people probably get them every year, get an like an NCT or an MOT if you're listening over in the UK. And I think it's important to understand: like, are you low in vitamin D, or are you, are you low in vitamin A, or low in vitamin C, or whatever it may be, and get the get the the test back. Then at least then you've got a report card and saying, right, I need to increase this. I need to increase this rather than just throwing a whole load of vitamins into your body without realizing that you can actually probably get a lot of them from your nutrition rather than supplementing with something and probably save you money in the long term. Like we're in what February between October and March, Irish people, UK people should probably take vitamin D like all the time. Um, we don't get enough sun in this country. Vitamin C, you could probably get your vitamin C from eating about half a pepper for the day, from eating half a pepper. So that's something's very, very subtle. You could have an orange, whatever it may be, but like half a pepper, that's not hard. You probably have that in your cooking without even realizing it. Uh, if you have, if you're anemic, there could be a deficiency in your B12, or if you're vegan, have a look at your bloods in that regard. 
Um, and then it's also important to say if you're if you are trying for a baby, there are other elements of is there too much of something in your body? Uh, mm-hmm. Certain elements of like folate or vitamin A or vitamin E or whatever it may be. And vitamin E is huge for like skin and um, and all that kind of thing. And it's hugely important to say, right, am I just having this because it's in the shop and it costs me 12 quid? Or would I be better off and getting a bigger picture and a bigger snapshot and saying, right, I'm, I'm getting an NCT like you do when you get your NCT report and saying, right, my brake lights are out my brakes are out well that's not a very good car first of all but it's similar to that at least you know what's going on so i would encourage everyone to get bloods done at some point rather than you could save yourself a lot of headaches now rather than doing get do, having the damage to clear up which you probably won't be able to clear up later on in life yeah and i think one other aspect is it's like people forget that to make these things work, we have to put a lot of stuff in there and we try to give like more than the recommended daily allowance um, in these vitamins or if you get these powders for one very reason, it's the bioavailability of it, i.e. that they're not going to have the same effect as you were eating veg and fruits and eating meats. So that means you can end up paying for something that effectively could be either overdosed, underdosed or not properly absorbed into the body. Yeah, and like anything that you, uh, it's kind of like if you're pushing too much in, like if you're uh, eating too much of, say, a certain nutrient or whatever it may be, or a micronutrient, the the, the excess is just going to be booed out. So you're kind of like, or, or when you go for uh, uh, number one, uh, I was going to say piss, but I decided against, I just said piss anyway. Um, you talk about kind of um, experience, like one of the things you want to talk about a lot because you're working on it with some of your girls at the minute in relation to light exposure in the morning and how important it is, um, how underutilized it is. And I know it's a weird time at the minute because it's a little bit darker here in Ireland as we're recording that first thing in the morning. So how have you brought that in? What's the benefits? Um, and what have you seen as the research on it? So like we're going to kind of touch, I'll try and make this as, simple as I can in terms of things. Um, when we're talking about in terms of light and everything, light's an important aspect within the body. And the reason why it does it, it kind of controls our circadian rhythms. So when we mean circadian, we mean about a day. Um, and it's basically the rhythm is the responsible for our sleep-wake cycle, right? So light is a very regulatory process in that. Now, what a lot of people don't get and like trying to express this as crazy out there or emotional as I can is like sleep and light are governed together. Like you need sunlight, period. And it's like this whole structure works on sunlight. So it's like, that's the aspect you need to know about, right? From that thing, if we say we start from the morning, right? So when most people wake up in the morning, it's going to be in and around sunrise. Some people are going to be closer to sunrise. Some people will be a little bit later. So if you're around about like half eight, nine o'clock for some people, especially in this um, time period, you know, close enough. At that time period, what ends up happening is the body releases um, some hormones. One of those hormones to wake us up is cortisol. Ooh, a stress hormone that everybody likes to know about. When another thing that happens at the same time is a bit of adrenaline comes in and kicks in and kind of sends that signal around, right? At that time, these two hormones send signals all around the body, just alerting it to increase your heart rate, kind of get your body moving, kind of utilize those muscles, like, you know, start firing, you know, the day's about to begin. When that aspect happens, we set off a clock within the body, right? Um, telling that clock, right, that in 12 to 14 hours, I want you to release a hormone from the pineal gland, right? Otherwise known as the darkness gland. And then this hormone gets released and then we go to sleep. So cortisol will end up waking you up. Melatonin, which releases from the pineal gland, is what's helping you fall asleep, right? So light plays a role in that in the sense that when you wake up in the morning, so if you think about yourself there lying in bed now, and you start opening up your eyes in the morning, we have a set of neurons in the back of those eyes, right? And those neurons need a particular light one of them being sunlight. So what ends up happening is when those neurons in the back of your eye get that light, it sends it to a clock within the brain. And that clock is known as the superchiasmatic nucleus, right? Which runs pretty much on 
the effect of sunlight. Now, what it means in that aspect is that when you wake up, you need sunlight hitting the back of your eye. It gets relayed to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and that is what controls your sleep-wake cycle, right? Now, from that aspect, everyone likes to go, okay, cool, so I need sunlight. This is how it regulates my thing. But we also know that phones give us blue light, and blue light makes us awake and everything like that. One key aspect is blue light from your phones and laptops doesn't stimulate the suprachiasmatic nucleus the same as sunlight. So a lot of the first things we do in the morning with most people is, hey, look, here's my phone. I take a look at my phone and go, cool. There's my dose of light and I don't go for a walk. I don't get out. I don't do any of these things. And then we start noticing about two to three, four hours later, we feel a dip and that dip takes a very long time to kind of dissipate. And then we start noticing that as the days go on, we're either awake later, we wake up later, we don't go to sleep as early, we start noticing the shift. And the reason is because we're not getting that sunlight exposure so soon in the morning. So as you can see that the one starts knocking the, the knock-on effect of delayed onset of sleep. We also see different aspects that come from that very thing, which is not enough sunlight in the morning can lead to the likes of certain anxiety disorders, some form of mental incapabilities. So it's a very big thing in the morning to try and not only increase your alertness, but also increase your energy. And I think that's the biggest aspect. So it's like those morning walks are going to do absolutely wonders. But everyone's like, yeah, but it's cold and dark inside. Well, the beautiful thing is about kind of how to say the whole sunlight aspect is that even when it's cloud times more sunlight energy than you do, than you get from your phone. So even when it's cloudy outside, you can still go outside spend about five to 10 minutes there absorbing the light. If you want to walk longer, by all means, walk longer and use the sunlight to regulate your sleep-wake cycle. And you'll start noticing that your energy overall through the day starts to drastically increase it. Because now you're still in that position. Well, you're not in that position, should I say, of where cortisol is still slowly releasing in your body. It gets pretty much stopped as soon as it gets that sunlight. So it's like that whole aspect of sunlight and sleep-wake cycle was a massive thing, but it also it's a big key aspect in your total energy over the day. So it's like get sunlight, go for walks, be out there in the open. And then another key aspect of that is get a little bit of sunrise and sunset. That both of those two aspects regulate a lot of what we do in the body. And that's a very adaptive thing that has occurred over a period of time. So get sunlight. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it's huge. I think a lot of people, when you don't, like if you've been sitting at a desk all day and your first thing you do in the morning is look at your phone, you're kind of, I think I read somewhere, it's like letting the equivalent of like a million or three million newspapers into your eyes, you're into your mind at one point straight from the office, as soon as you wake up, you're like, boom, you're kind of getting a, a big old information overload into your brain. And if you can start off the day as much as you can, I'm not saying you're going to have it every single day, but it's about doing it as much as you can, uh, little and often would be more beneficial than zero. Um, I think that could make a massive difference to your energy levels. I guarantee you'll be more productive. Guarantee you'll have a better mood. Guarantee you won't snap at people or kids or if you're if you're stuck on Zooms for seven or eight hours a day or whatever it may be i think it's hugely important to say to yourself right look at my schedule plan out plan it in plan a walk in or whatever it may be and some people do struggle with that element of why do i have to plan everything like when you plan when you when you could go out for like a pint and stuff you have that plan you have your work life plan so why not try to work and say right well what can i bring in for dallas time what can i bring in for shane time whatever it may be um and i think that needs to be incorporated in some time. Like we spend too much time on our phones and sitting at our desks all the time. Um, and I think if you can even get out for say half an hour of daylight exposure first thing in the morning, you'll get, I will almost guarantee that you will feel better mentally, physically at say half two when most people have the dip at around two o'clock or three o'clock or four o'clock slump. I guarantee you will feel a lot better by doing it. 
Oh, one hundred percent. And then, well, like another key aspect, and just a little, a little tad, little tad bit, a little nugget. There, it's the more you use your phone pass to say, well, between the range of eleven to four o'clock, the more you start shifting your circadian rhythm, because now your eyes get extremely sensitive in the dark to light. And if you keep bombarding it with blue light from your phone, you're not going to see it noticeably straight away. But if you do that day in, day out, you're going to start noticing minute little shifts. Six months later, you're not going to bed at 10 o'clock anymore. It's closer to 12 because you just keep giving the idea to your body that, hey, look, there's still sun out. You, you, you clearly got this wrong. And that's not what you want. So remove a little bit of your blue light or at least dim your light in the evenings would be a very good idea and try and get as much sunlight. I think, I think we've covered everything in terms of the podcast today. I want to say thank you so much, Shane, for sharing everything today. It's been a true pleasure. I hope everybody's like this. Um, please leave a review on iTunes. We're really appreciated. And don't forget to share it around social media if you've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for being part of the Shane Walsh podcast. And we look forward to hearing all of your feedback and we'll be back for another Coach's Corner next week. Thank you guys.